Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast here on the Raised with Jesus Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and uh, my co-host today, as always, is Zanzibar. That is a Tanzanian island chain, Zanzibar. Uh, We don't have a guest today, but... uh, Nice to see you. Nice to have you here in my classroom. Yeah, so we're, we're recording today at Shoreland uh, so that Jeremy didn't have to drive anywhere and so I can stay for the soccer game afterwards. Since we don't have a guest, we decided that what we wanted to talk about for the first few minutes is something that's going on at our churches here in our Shoreland Federation and that we're going to be looking to do, or the Wells is looking to do across the Synod. Uh, a Wells Youth Night. So, Jeremy, if you want to talk a little bit about the whole idea, the concept of a Wells Youth Night, and what what the goal is for having this next month. Sure. The Wells Youth Night was an idea that came from, uh, as far as I could tell, it came from some pastors, some Wells pastors in uh, the Minnesota and the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And the reason for it is that we have these youth rallies in our national church body, the Wells, every two years. Uh, we get all of our teenagers together uh, in a place like Tennessee or Colorado or, or Ohio. And uh, we have these really wonderful uh, gatherings where there's worship and there's workshops and the teens get to meet new people, meet each other, find out how many there are. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I thought it was really neat at the youth rally when it was um, uh, Pastor Bear from the seminary was giving his presentation. He was doing it through Zoom, but he used a part of the catechism, the small catechism from, uh, I I don't know, I think it was maybe the part on baptism or something like that. And he said, uh, he started the part, you know, what is baptism or what does baptism do for us? And he said, "Uh, all of you should know this from your catechism days and to hear what was it 4000 5000 yeah about 4000 4000 teens saying uh, all in unison the parts of the catechism uh, that were so familiar to them that was really neat um but the problem is that after a youth rally like that the uh the teens go back to their church and uh, very often they are some of the only people their age at the church um, very often they, they kind of lose momentum from uh, having such a boost to their faith at the youth rally that uh, the idea is that, that we would keep that momentum going, give them more encouragement of, yes, you're not the only uh, teens that, that believe these, uh, these facts about Jesus, and uh, let's get together and uh, show you that with sort of a mini youth rally. And that's that's what Wells Youth Night is. It's a one-night one uh, mini youth rally that happens uh, more on a more local level. Uh, and uh, hopefully we're going to have three of them per year uh, during the fall and winter and spring. Um, what, what would you like to add to that? Right. So what we're doing, and you're organizing it, and I'm helping you with it, is... Our Wells Youth Night is going to be held in Racine on October 28th. And just what we're doing is having a a speaker come in and talk for about 20 minutes. Uh, We have Pastor Seth Hawkinson from Waukegan that's going to be coming. And uh, when the students come in, they're going to get a name tag. They get 
Uh, they'll have some snacks because you have to have food if there's going to be teenagers. And then we'll have some music, and we're going to have uh, some of the students from Water of Life, my church, provide the music because God has blessed us with so many talented musicians because we really want to have the teens do as much of this as possible. And so they're going to be providing the music. And then the keynote speaker of Pastor Hawkinson, and then my role in serving on the Wells Youth Night Committee is I'm training our teenagers to uh, be facilitators at the... Uh, oh, what are they? The, well, after the, they hear the, uh, the, key, the, the keynote address, then they're going to break off into groups. The breakout groups, yeah. And uh, they're going to they're gonna discuss it on a little more intimate level. Yeah, and with that, and so... I'll, we're looking for about 10 of our teenagers of juniors and seniors, and I'll train them on how to answer the questions and let them be the facilitators. Because one of the things I've picked up on in teaching my eighth graders this year is when I'm teaching the catechism class, and you know it's kind of question and answer, I'll get maybe three people raising their hands. It's not the same three people, but there's not a lot of participation. But when I u- use a flipped classroom, where the students are studying the, the text together and answering the questions on their own, and then I choose one of the students to be up at the podium with the clicker, and then they get to ask the questions. Now half the students raise their hands. They're just a little more excited to be able to in, interact with their own peer group. And so I think that's going to happen with our teenagers, and I'm hoping that as they discuss these things in the breakout sessions, they'll be more open to discuss what was discussed by the keynote speaker. And this was something that the uh, originators, the the, past, the group of pastors or uh, leaders in uh, the churches of Minneapolis-St. Paul in Minnesota, that they said, when you set this up, try not to have a bunch of adults doing all of the work. And that it's, it's kind of necessary to get the ball rolling that the adults do the work. But uh, their point was, and I think it's a good one, is that uh, we want young people to stay engaged in their church life. And uh, if the adults are always doing the work for them, then uh, they don't really ever take ownership of their congregation. Uh, and so th- that's why, like uh, Pastor Zarling said, we want to have the uh, teenagers doing the music, uh, playing playing the instruments to lead worship, um, and then also even kind of facilitating the discussions uh, th- that uh, in the breakout groups that talk about the keynote address. And then with that, we also decided that one of the things we learn is when things are free, then there's no buy-in. So. Uh, to help offset the costs of the snacks, and we want to give an honorarium to the keynote speaker and the musicians and so forth, is uh, just to charge a nominal fee of $5. But we also decided that those students who want to stay afterwards and help clean up, they we get to waive that five dollars, and you, so you'll, have, get, you'll get your five dollars back. You get your five dollars back. Uh, so there's buy-in, and. Uh, This afternoon, I went kayaking with our Wisconsin Lutheran School 8th graders, and there was a mom along uh, with the group, and she told me, she was, I don't know what you did with my son, but he asked me, uh, we need to go to church on Sunday, and then we need to stay and uh, do the the fall work day that we have scheduled, and then we also have something scheduled at 3 o'clock for the teens, 
of we're going to teach them how to line dance because next week is homecoming at Shoreline. So we want to teach them how to dance so they're not looking at their phones or just standing on the sidelines as wallflowers. But the mom was just impressed because uh, what you were saying, Jeremy, is there's buy-in. Here's this young man, you know, a teenager, and he's like every one of us, even as adults, that we can be all in, you can be on the sideline, or you can be all out. And he wants to be all in, and that's just impressive to the mom. And that's what we want to do with these Wells Youth Nights is get these students all in all year long, not once every two years. And, of course, uh, Michael Zarling and I are the ones that are presenting this to you, so we're, we're kind of almost sounding like, like we're in charge. Uh, but this is I, my point is simply that uh, there's a wider a group. Uh, he mentioned a committee, and I think that's another neat thing that we have a lot of our Wells churches in the area sort of working together on this. Um, we've got the New Life uh, church in Kenosha, the, the multi-site ministry there. Uh, we've got representation from St. John Burlington uh, and uh, Zion South Milwaukee. Um, and, and then both of the Racine churches, First Evan, well, First Evan is basically the host uh, for this first one. We're hoping eventually, uh, if you're in the south southeast uh, Wisconsin area, uh, that this may interest you. We're hoping to do this like I said earlier, t- uh, at least two more times this year, once during the winter and once during the spring. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a team effort. And if you're not in our ministry area and you don't know if your congregations in your area are doing this, talk to your pastors. All the materials are set up. Uh, they're all on the Wells website. You just have to do a search for them. Everything's there. You can get the keynote speaker. You can... Uh, download the professionally uh, made video mm-hmm. of it, or you can do like we're doing is get one of our pastors to present, but use the notes and the slides that the original presenter had done. And then there's the the questions for the breakout groups and all of those things. Everything's lined up, so all you have to do is kind of find some people and then plug and play. It, it's really, yeah, it's kind of a paint-by-numbers thing. It's really nice. Uh, everything's been uh, predetermined. Uh, and, and by predetermined, that doesn't mean you have to do it their way, but they give you some helpful suggestions. And uh, it, it's, it's, uh, they, they give you the roles to, to fill of, of positions that need, need work done for them. Um, and, uh, and you can cater it to your own size. I, I know we've got a good-sized listening audience in the uh, Northern Ohio area uh, with uh, Pastor Hagen's podcast, um, and uh, maybe you've got something going there. But even if you don't, you you can tailor it to your own individual needs for your congregation. Sure, with one of the videos that uh, the four organiza- organizers of this have done, is they talked about with questions that were coming from the group during the Zoom meeting was. What about if you don't have a lot of teens? Can you have 7th and 8th graders? Yeah. And so tailor it to that. And you have to maybe simplify some things because there's going, and you might have then breakout groups for the 7th and 8th graders because they're going to have different needs and questions than teenagers will. Another idea was if you don't have a lot of teens to be able to lead the breakout sessions, 
then maybe there's one or two college students that you trust that they can come in and do those kinds of things. Because I've reached out to some of our college students just in case we don't have enough teens because uh, I, I love these college students. They've, they're all in, and so they would come back from college just to do this if, if we needed them to. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, how much more we wanted to cover on the Wells Youth Night. Um, we're, we're kind of excited about it, and uh, we hope that it goes well. So I guess one thing is I would ask that you say prayers for us, that it does go smoothly and it, that it is a success in, in, in God's eyes, and it, also if it's possible to have it be successful in, in an outward human kind of way too. Um, yeah, and— for tying this into the gospel lesson, which we'll get into next, is yeah. we want these teens to be able to have the confession of Lazarus so mm. that when they are called home to heaven, when the angels take their souls, they will be at Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. That's really the, the goal of what we're doing is so that they have God's word. They're connected to the means of grace uh, through our schools and through our churches, and then this is another expression of that faith, and an and a increase, increasing of that faith. Yeah, I, I, as I was looking at these verses, I was thinking about how a lot of times it's a temptation, especially when you're, you're talking about keeping young people in the church, that uh, you have to do something or you have to put on a fantastic show or, or really impressive um, uh, presentation of God's Word, and uh, it, it's good at times like that to hear what Abraham says at the end of this reading. Um, if they don't listen to the bare words of Scripture, they're not going to listen even if you put on the fanciest laser light show of uh, uh, you know praise songs and, and uh, preaching that, that uh, you can imagine. Yeah, because there's not going to be any laser light show or liturgical dancing at Water of Life and maybe other churches, but not ours. And yet, but actually, that's not quite true because you just told everybody that you're going to be teaching line dancing at Water <laughs> yes, of Life. But we're not having a disco ball because <laughs> we're going to be outside. But with that, just that plain old gospel, I was just really excited yesterday morning in catechism class uh, because I was talking to my uh, eight Water of Life students that make up the 23 students that are in the eighth grade catechism class. And, and I said, well, next month I'm going to be visiting my shut-ins. And for those of you who may be interested in becoming a preacher, a pastor, or teacher someday, you're invited to come along. Even if you don't ever become a pastor or teacher, I think it's a good idea for you to go along, see what the pastor does, so you can support him in his ministry later on. And again, I haven't really talked to the students at all about uh, the preaching or teaching ministry, but seven of those eight students want to go along. Uh, that uh, six of them are interested in becoming teachers and the other one a teacher or a pastor. Now, like I said, none of them may become pastors or teachers, but if they have that level of interest now as eighth graders, I, I think they're going to be staying in the church, Lord willing, after, on, after all, because they're in God's word. They're like Lazarus that we're going to get into. And that kind of reminds me of even if they don't ever become a pastor or a teacher, that uh, I, I know of friends of mine that I grew up with, and, and my dad was my pastor growing up, and uh, he would encourage these uh, friends of mine to enter the ministry, and uh, they 
Well, I, I guess I'm thinking of one in particular who um, never actually did. Uh, he may have thought about it, but he never he never followed through on it. But he is still now today one of the most faithful uh, lay people in uh, the congregation where he lives, and uh, that that's a that's a wonderful way to serve the Lord as well. You want to get into the gospel lesson then, Jeremy? Yes. Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, living in luxury every day. A beggar named Lazarus had been laid at his gate. Lazarus was covered with sores and longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Besides this, the dogs also came and licked his sores. Eventually, the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his side. He called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in misery in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in misery. Besides all this, a great chasm has been set in place between us and you, so that those who want to cross from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's home. To my father's home. Uh, excuse me. Let me try that again. He said then, the uh, rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's home, because I have five brothers to warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham replied to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So, Jeremy, I think one of the things that pastors like to debate first off when they get to this text is, is this a parable or is this a true story? Yes, yes. Uh, and it, it never even hit me until uh, one of those pastors that likes to debate this pointed out that um, it, it, Luke never uses the word parable uh, that, or, or the word, even the word, Jesus never says anything with like or as. That's the whole, you know, simile metaphor talk is the kingdom of heaven is like and he never says, the, uh, it, the kingdom of heaven is like this man named Lazarus or this rich man. And, uh, of course, we know from the other Gospels that there actually was a man named Lazarus who died, and then he came back from the dead. And then with this, too, uh, another point that this uh, could be a true story, or at least it's a story. Mm-hmm. and maybe not so much a, par- a parable. Is, it's a story that conveys a truth. Right. And so could it be a real story that Jesus knows of because he's the son of God and he knows, hey, there was this real man named Lazarus who was so poor and he was laying outside the, uh, the home of a rich man. And so he knows that. Or is this just a story, which is different than a parable, that Jesus is telling to make a point because that one of the things that makes this different than a parable is in none of the other parables does Jesus use a real person's name. 
It's true. And he does that with both Lazarus and Abraham. And I think of the, yeah, not yeah, not only Lazarus, but Abraham. Uh, and then add to that the fact that when uh, the Lazarus, who is in uh, John's gospel, when that Lazarus died, uh, it said that uh, there were a lot of people that came to comfort Mary and Martha. That all you know, that miracle was then so uh, prolific to to spread Jesus' popularity even beyond what it was before. I use the word popularity not to mean that people liked him, but that he became even more renowned than he was before. And uh, you think, why didn't uh, the rich man shoo Lazarus away from his front door? Well, maybe it was because he was actually the uh, brother of some uh, ladies who were well-known and respected in the community. So one of the things that kind of segueing into that story of Lazarus uh, dying, and I, I remember this vividly when I was at the seminary of one of my classmates asking the professor, so what happened when Lazarus died? Did he go, did his soul go to heaven? And the professor said, yeah, I guess so. And so then a student asked, so when Jesus raised him from the dead, his soul had to come out of heaven to come down to earth to be in his body. And the professor said, yeah, yeah, that would be what happened. And my friend said, well, that must have sucked. (laughs) And just (laughs) very bluntly say, you were in heaven and then, you know, for four days and now you're out of heaven. You were, if this is that, well, whether it's, it's the same Lazarus or not, you're at Abraham's side. And what does that mean to be at well, Abraham's side? Okay, so, yeah. yeah, I think right there you, you hit on the, the, it, the nub of the issue. Um, when we're talking about things that happen outside of this visible earthly realm, we, we cannot really fathom them. So Jesus talks about them in terms of what's the best place, if you're, if you're a, a hardcore Jew, what's the best thing you can imagine? It's being buddies with Abraham, being such close buddies with Abraham that, that you actually get to lean up on his chest at the meal because that's how they would recline at a meal. Uh, and that's the place of honor, to be near Abraham. Well, now this little peasant, this poor guy who uh, wasn't hardly worth considering, gets the most honorable spot. Um, and yeah, okay, when you die and you're a believer in Jesus, you go, you go straight to... Uh, see God face to face, and it is wonderful, absolutely. But that's not the most wonderful of all, because that's that's just really your soul that is uh, basking in the glory of God. Uh, God created us to be bodies and souls together, and so it, it, I've heard things like what what that guy said at the seminary to his professor. I've heard things like that when it comes to other resurrection miracles like um, Eutychus in the book of Acts. He was raised from the dead and, um, and oh no, he was ripped out of heaven and now he doesn't get to enjoy the happiness there anymore. But we were never designed to be a soul floating outside of a body. Uh, and so what's even more wonderful than uh, being in heaven with just your soul is being in the new heavens and the new earth with your soul and your body. And so... Um, I, I think another interesting thing to debate is, did Lazarus die again? All right. Uh, actually, 
Actually, you know what? We shouldn't debate that right now because we we're assuming that this is the same right. Lazarus. Yeah, well, let's let's get back to the account. Where I want to to go with this, based on what you were saying too, of you know being in God's presence with your soul and later with your body. Uh, I wrote this in the hymn devotion for this week on the hymn "Lord, Thee I Love with All My Heart." It's the hymn of the day, and I hadn't thought of it this this way before of life without Jesus. Because that's what this rich man had, a life without Jesus. But the hymn writer makes the point, he says, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. I pray thee ne'er from me depart. Uh, with tender mercy cheer me. Earth has no pleasure I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare if thou, Lord, were not near me. Just that concept I wouldn't have picked up on if I wasn't studying the text like I was to write this devotion, what the hymn writer says, Lord, you know, heaven would be awesome, but it wouldn't be that awesome if Jesus wasn't there. Mm-hmm. We could be at Abraham's side. That's pretty cool. But if Jesus isn't there and we're sitting at his table, it's, it's not really as awesome as it could be. Mm-hmm. So it just, just when you sing that this Sunday, when you get to that third or fourth line in that hymn, Really focus on that, of what it means to have Jesus in your life now compared to, uh, and then what it would be like in heaven, but Jesus still wasn't there. That's a a metrical uh, rendering of, or a poetic rendering of uh, Psalm 73, where it says, uh, earth has nothing I desire besides you, and heaven itself uh, has nothing I desire besides you. Yeah, and then the third verse, and why this hymn is picked for this Sunday is the third verse is a retelling of the gospel lesson for this Sunday. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Let, let it last your angels come. So one of the things I wanted to mention to Jeremy is I taught a first Bible study this morning on uh, the chosen. Uh, and I told those who were gathered there that the reason we were doing this is because you spoke so highly of it when <laughs> we were heading out to go golfing. And so we watched the first lesson today. And one of the things that was interesting about it is in that first episode, uh, it's about Mary Magdalene. Uh, She's really one of the key uh, characters. There's four key characters of uh, Peter, Nicodemus, Matthew, the tax collector, and Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is possessed by demons. And yet, throughout the whole episode, 54 minutes, the first 52 minutes, Jesus doesn't show up. And no one calls Mary Magdalene, who is tormented by these demons. She's tearing up her home. She's actually slashing men and and so forth. Nicodemus, they have him as the teacher of teachers, a rabbi, trying to drive out the demons. And he realizes he can't. Someone more powerful. He says, only God can do this. But everyone calls her a different name besides Mary. Mm-hmm. Jesus shows up in the last two minutes of this episode, and he's the first one in the whole episode to call her Mary. She turns around and starts weeping to hear, hear her own name. And I bring that up because we discussed this in Bible study afterwards, how important it is to hear your own name, but then to have Jesus call us by name. And I bring that up here in this context because notice the rich man, with all of his wealth, he's just called a rich man. Mm-hmm. Lazarus, yeah. who has no earthly wealth, he has a name. 
just when just to point that out how important it is that God knows Jesus, God knows Lazarus by name just like he knows you by name uh, that is a, a really neat thought um I hadn't I hadn't thought of that myself uh, ever I don't think um I I always kind of struggle with uh, verses 25 and 26 more so 25 just because it it kind of sounds a little bit like uh, well why is uh the Lazarus in heaven and the rich man in hell it's because uh in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus received bad things now he is comforted and you are in misery and uh what would you do if somebody kind of spun that toward um uh, well, it, this shows you that uh, the way to eternal life is by giving up and, and being impoverished. And, and if you are wealthy or uh, have a person of means, then uh, they, they can expect to go to hell or something like that. That's kind of an over, sure. over-exaggeration of it, but could you see somebody spinning it that yeah, way? Yeah, I, I think that you could say, yeah, the rich man, riches are bad. Uh, it's harder for a rich man to, uh, what is? How does it go? Enter, it's easier easier for a, a to, oh man. I'm a camel to enter the yeah. eye of, or go through the eye of a needle. So, so at, yeah, at the very you least, you can't say the word home, and I can't figure out the whole <laughs> needle thing. The at the very least, riches are a liability. Right. What I would point out though is, hey, that's a very good point. Except, I'm going to guess that Abraham was richer than the rich man. Oh yeah, and Abraham is in heaven. That's true. That's a so good point. So he he was extremely wealthy, and yet he's in heaven. So, uh, and it says about him that it was credited to him as righteousness. All of his wealth counted for nothing. Mm-hmm. All of Lazarus' poverty counted for nothing. What counted for everything was their faith in the Savior for Abraham, who was coming, and for Lazarus, the Savior who had come. Or, you know, for saying that this is when Jesus is on earth, who was right there with him. If you want to put a more biblical spin on it, that a better way to think of it than, you know, I, I, I guess what I was trying to describe was the whole wealth redistribution philosophy that, uh, you know, the, the, the poor people are the good guys and the rich people are the bad guys. Um, the more biblical way to say it would be the way that uh, Jesus does and, and Mary in the Magnificat and then also in the book of James. James writes the same way, uh, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, that God's economy is one of whatever looks the best and the, and the shiniest and the most fun is actually uh, often used as a tool of the devil and is... Uh, turns out to be evil, and whatever looks the lowliest and the most despised uh, is are the things that God esteems to be great. Uh, and you could talk about His Word, you could talk about the sacraments, you could talk about the the people of the church who look, earthly speaking, like very unimpressive uh, things, and yet those are the ones that God treasures the most. So, Jeremy, if you were preaching on this text, and I think most of us, because we're Christians to whom you're preaching, we want we will want to automatically uh, identify ourselves with Lazarus. Mm. Look at how poor and humble we are. And yet, because the people you're preaching to are Americans, shouldn't we really identify with the rich man? Absolutely. 
So wh- why is that? And what's the danger? Because you, you talked about, you know, rich is bad. What's the danger of our riches? Because really, compared to no matter what you make in, our, in America, we are the 1% compared to everyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they're just, they're countries you could travel to, and this, the vast majority are uh, totally impoverished. Uh, did, I'm sorry, did, was there a question I'm yeah, supposed well, to answer? Yeah, the question was of uh, how would you, if people are identifying themselves with, with Lazarus, you know, what's the danger of, of our American wealth? Or, or well, I don't know if I'm going to You can take it how follow you that, want. Yeah, follow that train as much as I, I think the main point of Jesus' lesson here is really in verse 31. So he kind of leaves all of the wealth and poverty talk behind. And yes, it's true that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And riches are a liability to your faith. Um, But finally, what matters the most is, are you listening to Moses and the prophets? Are you listening to what God has spoken through his scriptures? Uh, and, And do you believe it? Do you take it seriously? Uh, because uh, it, it's not going to matter uh, how... I, I kind of wanted to bring this back around to talking about the youth night again. Uh, with uh, it, it doesn't matter how impressive we make God's word for our teenagers. Let's do our best. Let's work hard to make it a, a wonderful event when we do our Wells Youth Night. But finally, it's not going to matter how... Uh, uh, slick and uh, shiny we make the Wells Youth Night if they don't believe the words of Jesus uh, when the keynote speaker presents them uh, they're not going to be persuaded of it even if uh, we we had a, a smoke machine and uh, laser lights and all the rest you of it. You really do like that smoke machine and yeah, laser lights. Yeah, I know. Maybe uh, we can find a wealthy donor to... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, We're going to be using the pipe organ and strings <laughs> and so forth. Yeah, and what I was getting at with, with the wealth is, yeah, there, it, there is a danger for us uh, as wealthy individuals to put so much focus on our wealth and understand that, yeah, we are that 1%. And yet, you're right, Jesus point isn't so much the rich man and Lazarus. The point is of uh, you, you know, even if someone would be raised from the dead, that's not going to convert someone. It's listening to Moses and the prophets. And that's what, you know, that's why uh, I just taught this last week in my adult confirmation classes. I wrote it based on going through our Lutheran order of worship. And, and I talked about how in that fourth lesson on the word, notice how long, you know, say it's an hour, hour and 10 worship service that I would say 30 to 40 minutes of that service is the word from the Old Testament lesson, the Psalm, the Epistle lesson, the gospel acclamation, the gospel lesson for us, the children's devotion and a sermon. That's the big portion of the service. And if you don't have that, it's not worship. You need to have God's word, Moses and the prophets. One thing that struck me that I, I hadn't really thought of before when I read it, uh, the verses just a moment ago, um, is when the rich man 
is saying to Abraham, I beg you, Father, send, send Lazarus to my father's home because I have five brothers to warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So that, get, that got me picturing the uh, six uh, Jewish boys here growing up in their, in their rich father's household because, you know, they probably inherited their riches from him. Uh, and then they, uh, they go to synagogue every week these these six little little Jewish boys. Uh, one of them is the rich man that grows up to be this guy in in Jesus' story here, and uh, all six of them listen to the readings from the Old Testament, what we today would call the Old Testament. And how many of those readings talked about hell? And yet, what do the what does the rich man do here? He's like, this is this is a total surprise to me. I. <laughs> I can't believe there's actually this place of torment where I'm just in a constant flame and burning up all the time and it never ends and it's, it's miserable and I, and I, want, I don't want my brothers to come here. We need to get the word out to them. We need to spread the news to them that this place actually exists. And then at the end here, Abraham says, you know, we got the word out. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, how, were, how did you miss that? We, 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 God put it into his uh, prophets and scriptures of uh, Moses in the Old Testament. Well, that, the way you were phrasing that, Jeremy, made me think of this. I've heard of a pastor doing this uh, because I had a situation like this where uh, our members uh, asked me to minister to their dad, and from every indication, this dad was an unbeliever when he died. And you know, and I told him, and when I met with him, is I cannot preach a sermon where I mention his faith because he has no faith. Is you know, he's he's in hell, and they understood that. That's hard to tell a family, and yet I know of a pastor who his fam- the family had a similar situation, and they asked him to preach at their say their father's funeral, but to say in the sermon he is in hell. Do not go there. And then, you know, a real law sermon. And then, obviously, because it's Lutheran, sharing the gospel afterwards. I'm just wondering if you've had to lay that kind of law smackdown sermon in a situation like that. Um, not so much. I think I may have shared this once on in our podcast before, but it was there was a member of our community. He was a member of the church, but he was much more a member of the community. Uh, and very popular. Um, he was technically uh, our member at our church, but he uh, never set foot in the door. And uh, it, finally, I I was able to visit them, and they were kind of elderly, so I sort of treated him a little bit like shut-ins. And then he died in a car accident, and um, I I I told people at the beginning of the funeral, do not. Uh, do not imitate his church-going habits because that that was not good. And I said, actually, the last visit that I had with him, uh, I I brought him and his wife communion. Um, so I think we can say that he is in heaven, but uh, it, it was not a God-pleasing thing the way that he, uh, his, his uh, devotion to the means of grace, the way that he showed it. Yeah, so as Wisconsin Synod Lutherans, a lot of times we will not do funerals for non-members. And the reason for that is we don't know 
their faith. And so how can we testify that this individual is in heaven? Now, that being said, I have done those kinds of funerals for members just because even though I don't have that confidence and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough, I can use words to say, to talk about faith without saying this person had faith in his heaven, is in heaven. But, uh, you know, when I've, the reason I've done funerals like that for members, like I said, as a favor to them and understanding they're just going to get some other person, a pastor from somewhere else, and they'll, they have no problems you know, giving a false gospel. So I'd rather mm-hmm. them hear a real law gospel sermon from a, from a pastor. But in those situations, I remember one of them where, you know, I couldn't say whether this person was in heaven or not. And I came home from that funeral and I was just in a bad mood and I scolded my daughters who had nothing to do with it, but I just was in a bad mood. And I said, you better never make your pastor have to preach a sermon like that where there's no idea whether you're in heaven or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dad. <laughs> but but that's that's uh, have that assurance of being in heaven. And I think the last question I have on this for you, then, Jeremy, is kind of touched on this before. What is Jesus' point when he tells them that you know, in the words of Abraham, even if someone comes from the dead, uh, they will not repent. Uh, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What's that point of, get, what's he getting to of that Moses and the prophets of God's word? Why is that so important that God's word and not a, a ghost? Or, or, a, or a laser light show or a smoke machine. <laughs> exactly. It, it's, it's, so you're, you're talking about the issue of conversion. Yeah. That what what is it that converts people? It's not setting up the the perfectly right circumstances. It's not the new measures. It's not the um, uh, miracles. Even you you would you would think that oh, if I could just see Jesus multiplying bread and fish or walking on water, then oh my goodness, believing would be so much easier. Well, the disciples saw how many miracles did the disciples see, and yet they still abandoned Jesus in. The Olive Grove of Gethsemane, um, uh, Thomas still doubted or, or was skeptical when Jesus rose from the dead. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Um, so, so the miracles uh, weren't what made the difference. It was, it is God's word that, that converts. And so that's, that's what Jesus here calls Moses and the prophets. It's the writings. It's the scriptures. Uh, that that is the only thing that can actually turn people from believers from unbelievers into believers, and that's a good reminder for me too. That like this Sunday at three o'clock when we have our line dance party, we're going to teach the tits, the kids how to dance. Beforehand, I'm going to do a Bible study with them on dancing that mm-hmm. I wrote. Uh, because sometimes are you going to show them the movie Footloose? Well, here's the thing: I'm mentioning Footloose. Uh, even though most of them have no concept of of the movie. They may have seen the remake. Yes. And so I'm going to bring in some of those things, but it's easy to get the teens together for a youth night, for we've done paintballing, uh, bowling, dancing, and just to have fun together, but then not use God's word. If we're not using God's word for those those things, 
am I going to deepen their faith? And so that's why, yeah, I wrote a fun Bible study on uh, looking at dancing in the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Ecclesiastes, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance. We'll talk about when is a good time to dance now in our culture, when might there be issues of dancing, and then you know I'm going to have some fun with it, bring up why when I was younger, we were just, our high school was just getting into the pastors allowing us to dance. Now, Shoreland hosting dances. So those differences. And then, you know, talking to them about the danger of dancing, of the lustful actions, but also, uh, you know, that warning I'll give them is, hey, when you dance, we'll teach them how to polka too, but a slow dance, make sure there's room for Jesus in between the two of you. <laughs> it just hit me like the full circle of progression that the Wells churches have made. We have gone from the pastors forbidding dancing on high school campuses <laughs> to now we've got pastors teaching you how to dance right. at the high school dances. Yeah, but we're going to teach you how to do the Cotton Eye Joe and and so forth. There you go. Uh, anything else on this lesson or you want to get into the epistle? Uh, we can read the epistle. All right. This is Hebrews 13. Continue to show brotherly love. Do not fail to show love to strangers, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were also suffering bodily. Marriage is to be held in honor by all, and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled, for God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for God has said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So then we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So these are some of the last verses of the, the writer in his epistle. Uh, and he's giving exhortations to persecuted Christians. So, Jeremy, why, if the writer is writing to Christians who are persecuting, being persecuted, uh, why is he talking like this about showing brotherly love, uh, not feeling to show love to strangers, welcoming strangers as if you're welcoming in angels, uh, remember those in prison and so forth? What do these verses have to do with do to and with persecuted Christians? Two things that I could think of. One of them is that uh, they're a distraction. If you are busy uh, looking for ways to uh, help other people and to serve the the humans around you, then uh, you have less time to think about the pain of your persecution. Um, and, and then and then the other thing is simply that uh, nothing changes when you're being persecuted. You, you, God still wants us to let our light shine and to do good works. Uh, so uh, it, it may be harder when you are being persecuted to show brotherly love and to fail to to and to show love to strangers um but that that makes it even more opportune that uh, you don't it and maybe even it makes it easier because you all you have to do is not retaliate and you're showing love uh Jesus says to to turn the other cheek and um that, that you're you, it 
that's that's the highest form uh, is to love your enemies. That's what God has done for us is he's loved his enemies. And one of the things I was thinking about this is that, you know, if you're being persecuted as a Christian, you're going to be tempted to distance yourselves possibly from other Christians because there's that danger, well, they may turn me in. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, if you're entertaining those, uh, if you're entertaining strangers, uh, those who are fleeing persecution, it's risky because now you're opening yourself up to persecution. Mm. Uh, you know, it, think of, you know, Christians in other countries that they're fleeing the Muslims. You think of Christians that were hiding Jews in Nazi Germany and so forth. And now you're taking in someone who's a complete stranger and you're wondering, all right, are these people spies? Are they going to turn me in? And so uh, the context also is suggesting, I think, that those in prison were there because of their testimony about Jesus. And to associate with them also makes it that you're running the risk of having that same persecution and punishment. And so I think the writer to the Hebrews here is saying in these last few verses to show the kind of love that identifies you with and to your fellow Christians who are being mistreated. Uh, also, Jeremy, in these verses, the writer uses both law and gospel. How does he use the law to warn us against sexual immorality? Simply by stating it, um, he, he starts with, the, he starts with the positive. I, I think that's significant. He doesn't start by saying, uh, well, here are all of the sinful things that people do to break the sixth commandment. Uh, don't be gay. Uh, don't be, you know, don't be an adulterer. Don't be a philanderer. Uh, no, actually, he starts with the positive in verse four and says, uh, let's look at the bright side. Marriage is to be held in honor by all, and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. And then he says, yeah, and take God seriously when he says he will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers uh, because uh, those those are offensive things to God. God made sexuality to be a great gift and, and a, a beautiful thing, and it's really us who mess it up and that we, we take a holy thing, sex is a holy thing, and we defile it in so many ways, so that does deserve punishment. One of the things I was thinking about this with this question also was, how the audience that the writer to the Hebrews is talking to versus when Paul talks in 1 Corinthians or Romans about sexuality is, uh, you know, the Romans, the Roman Christians, the Corinthian Christians, those were hotbeds in those cities, in those cultures of all kinds of sexual deviancy. Red light zones. Yes. And so uh, they were coming out of those lifestyles and as well as they see people still uh, engaging in those sins. And yet to the writer of the Hebrews, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, it's right being written to Jews, to Hebrews. Mm-hmm. I don't see them having those same kind of sexual sins in their culture as much as in the pagan culture. And yet, am I right? Well, I would, I would imagine maybe something like this could have happened that, uh, these, these Jews who grew up with a very strict, uh, morality or a, a sense of morality that uh, they find out about this wonderful freedom of the gospel that um, 
Oh, you don't you don't have to just stay away from pork. You don't you don't have to circumcise your ba- your boy babies on the eighth day. Uh, Christ has set us free from all those laws. And uh, hey, while we're at it, why don't we kind of imitate? Um, I, I even just thought now of the uh, woman caught in adultery and all of the uh, teachers of the law or the the Jewish men were. Um, telling Jesus, hey, we caught her right in the act and, and all, all sorts of, you know, prostitutes in the Bible that Jesus affiliated with, um, it still went on, right. you know? Yeah, I just, I just didn't think of it maybe went on as much as it would be in those other no. cultures. And the reason I bring that up is applying this to us in our culture is as Christians, we might think, well, all right, uh, I'm not as sexually immoral as, oh my goodness, look at this culture we're in right now. Because yeah. I think uh, America 2022, we're Rome, we're Corinth when it comes to sexual sins. Nothing's and, off limits. Yes. Uh, you can't say no. Every deviancy is now being allowed. And yet, and then we as Christians can think, well, this isn't a sin that's going to be bothered. So would it kind of be comparable to the po- the the... A hot rod poster on your wall that like well i'm i'm not attracted to men and i don't cheat on my wife and i don't go to a strip club so this this you know bikini poster on my wall that's really not such a big deal is it yeah that, yeah and but to know that these kinds of sins they're going to affect us as well you know you know they were talking about uh i i haven't seen the the show the new hbo uh dragons type show that uh, is there oh the uh, what is it game of thrones yeah the game of thrones they, they made a you know, prologue to that but it's it's on hbo so it's just more nudity mm. and, and sexual deviancy but all of these kinds of things we can get sucked into that our young people are going to get sucked into the kind of music uh the the rock and rap and it's it's very sexual uh oh you're talking about the lyrics the lyrics yeah yeah and then i don't know about the videos Oh sure, but sure. all those kinds of things, and then these are these are warnings for us as well, because we can get sucked into all kinds of sexual sins as well. It's not just something that is the outside world. And that was my point. The outside world, the Gentiles of Roman Corinth. This was written to the Hebrews. Yes, yeah, who, who knew this, and this is written to us who know this, and yet we these are sexual sins that can affect us, and the law is applied to us. The law. In the third, the third use of the law, be content with what you have. Hmm. Uh, I think we might say, well, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with your money. But I would think you could also say, uh, keep the marriage bed pure. Be content with what you have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? You know, be content with your spouse, your husband, your wife, mm-hmm. not what else is out there on the Internet yeah. and so forth. Yeah, that's a good That's a good. Uh, connection to make I, speaking of connections i i'm guessing that the uh, people who put together these set of this set of readings for the pericope uh they were probably thinking well there's the rich man who lived in this lavish luxury and uh and then ended up in hell and that kind of ties in with what this reading says about keep your life free from the love of money um and be content with what you have uh, and and did the rich man really show brotherly love? Not not so much to Lazarus, um, uh, and remember those who are in prison and that kind of a thing. But uh, I 
I kind of think there's an interesting connection with how both readings make mention of angels, uh, that you've got the angels escorting the soul of the departed Lazarus to glory. And uh, here, there's this other thing that angels do. Uh, you, you may find yourself helping or serving an angel that is disguised as somebody in need. Um, and it, it's kind of just a little sidebar thing. It's not really the main point of either reading, but uh, a neat little thought to tack on there. So since we went to tack that on with the angels, you got a good angel story? I'll let you think of one. I've got lots of angel stories. Uh, we, I shared some the other, other night. Uh, well, I'll share two. One was of my own family. So one I tell often when I, when I teach on angels in my class is when my daughter uh, Lydia and her younger sister Belle, they were probably you know, five and two or six and three. So uh, they were sharing a room and Shelly and I were downstairs and we heard a crash. And we went up to the, ran up to the room. Lydia, in her wisdom, decided that she wanted to play with the hamster in the glass aquarium that was on top of her dresser. And since she didn't have a stool in her room, she, in her six-year-old wisdom, pulled out the drawers to use the steps. And then, while you do that with a little girl's weight, too, everything tips over, and everything came down on top of her, the drawers, the dresser, the aquarium, and yet nothing hurt her, nothing was broken, neither on her or the aquarium. The only thing I can imagine is an angel holding everything and, and protecting her. And another story I, I like to share when it comes to angels is one that another gentleman told me that he was out hiking, let's say it's in the Appalachians, and he was staying at a cabin of a friend and he'd never been there before. And he was out hiking and he was a army ranger when he was a young man. Now he's like 60 or 70. And he went out hiking and he was with his buddies. They went hiking and coming back. And he, had, he knew what he was doing as an army ranger. He had his compass on his lapel. He knew the direction to get back to the cabin. And this lady shows up in the woods and says, where are you going? And he said, oh, I'm heading north back to the cabin. He, she said, that's not north. Your cabin is that way. And he had unknowingly a magnet near his compass that was throwing him off. So he was going in the wrong direction and it was getting dark. Well, they went back to the cabin. They got there safe after turning around. The next day, they were talking to the person who owned that cabin, showed up the next morning, and they told him about being lost and coming back and this woman d redirecting them. And he said, there's no woman that lives up in this area. Hmm. So the only explanation then would be an, an angel that was entertaining them instead of them entertaining oh, angels. Oh, yeah, yeah. So those are my story. Those are two of my stories. I, I just don't know because I... I mean, if you if you want to ask about like close calls, I've got lots of close call stories. But uh, whether I can credit them to angels or not, only God knows. Um, uh, I, th this is kind of a motivational thing of uh, when I, I let me put it this way: uh, there was a young lady that uh, at my first congregation, she was she was not a member of the congregation. But uh, she stopped at the church and asked for money. 
because this is something that people do with churches. They, they want, they want you some kind of charity. They want to know if you will help pay for their bills or buy gas for them because their car ran out of gas. And, uh, she was, she was a college student, uh, or at least that age of a college student. And, uh, uh, so something about it kind of tugged on my heartstrings and, uh, I ended up driving down with her in my vehicle and she in her vehicle to the gas station and uh, paying for some gas so she could finish her trip to Chicago. And uh, maybe she was scamming me. I don't know. But now as I look back on that and I think of this verse, I think to myself, um, it's also possible that uh, she was an angel that uh, was disguising herself as a college student and giving me a chance to serve angels. Um, and I, it kind of makes me wish I would have been a little bit friendlier because I kind of, I probably had a little bit of a scowl on my face and I was kind of like, okay, fine, I'll get you some gas and yeah. <laughs> drive down. And um, I guess it, it makes good good deeds a little more personal that you're 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 helping somebody. And what if that person is an angel? And it also makes angels a little more personal. They're not just. Um, uh, magical creatures that uh, are uncognizant of their surroundings. They're actually very intelligent. They're very conscientious. They long to look into God's word and study and learn it more. And uh, when you help them, you're, you're having a very personal kind of an interaction. So to wrap this up, Jeremy, the last question I have is on the last uh, two verses is how would you apply these verses to those who are listening? How can they put these verses into practice this week? For God has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So then we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? I I was about to say, just do it. (laughs) The Nike, like God is just giving you these nice little sound bites uh, bullet points of uh, you want to you want to live a happy life. Do this, do that. Keep your marriage bed pure. Be content with what you have. What you have. Stay away from loving money. Um, but I guess instead of saying just do it, I'll say it. It's already done because uh, God God said I will never leave you and never forsake you. Uh, we can now say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. There's no doing involved at all that you have to uh, justify yourself you 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 don't have to stress out or work work hard anymore uh, Jesus already did all the work yeah, and I would add to that then is that uh, people and maybe you who are listening you're going through tough times these have been a lot very difficult years for so many people and yet and it feels like maybe a lot of people are forsaking you you know, your friends, your family, your government, whatever it is. And yet you have a God who said, I will not forsake you. Instead, I forsook my son so that you will not be forsaken, so that I will call you by name, tying it back to the gospel lesson. And so then you and I can say with confidence that we don't have to take things into our own hands, uh, that we can rely on the divine power of God, that, again, If you're being persecuted for your faith the way that these Christians, uh, these Hebrew Christians were, remember nothing in this world uh, will will hurt you uh, because you've got Jesus Christ with you. Nothing that can ever happen to you. Even if you're put in prison, 
Jesus is there. Even if you're suffering for your faith, Jesus is there with you. And the worst that they think they can do to you is kill you. Well, then Jesus is with you in death. You get to go to Abraham's side and sit. Like you said, Jeremy, I think that's a good way of putting it. Abraham's bosom from the King James. Mm. You lay your head on Abraham's chest at the dinner table where Jesus is is the host and you're the guest of honor. And again, he calls you by name. So we'll wrap this up. This is Michael Zarling with Do Not Run the Red Lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. 